Or is God more to you like a sentimental grandpa, you know? He's just sitting over there in his couch and, you know, and basically our job is, you know, we only just need to kind of smile and nod. And, you know, kind of go over in his presence from time to time. And he might have a little joke in his pocket, you know. Um, My wife's grandpa, (laughs) he always had these little gimmicks. Even when we were, like, married and had our own kids, like, he'd be like, hey, Scott and Penny, come here. And we'd be standing there talking to him. All of a sudden, he'd be like, ribbit, ribbit. Like, he'd have this little croaking frog button in his pocket. And he'd be like, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And we're like, okay. (laughs) We're not five. But, you know, that was his role. And he even, for Christmas, we get these really cool presents. He got like, he saw these pens, you know, writing pens that were AM, FM radios that you hooked up earphones to. And he just thought those were the coolest thing ever. Like, and he bought them for all of us, like 30-year-olds for Christmas one year. And I was like, where's my iPod? No, just kidding. <laughs> no, but um, <laughs> um, anyways, you know, gr- the problem with um, seeing God as a grandparent is grandparents really think that their kids, um, everything their grandkids do is amazing, right? Like, oh my gosh, he walked. It's the best walker ever. You know, and so we don't really need to take God or his command seriously if we just view him as a grandfather. Because we can't do anything wrong in his eyes, right? And there is some truth to that perspective. There really is. But it's not the whole picture, right? It's not the clear picture. Um, you know, another, another, a few other distortions are we kind of sometimes see God as the distant God. Like, he's got a lot going on. He's working on, like, you know, I mean, the Middle East. There's a lot he's working on over there. And... You know, he's talking to the president. You know, he doesn't have time for me. You know, he's worried about global warming. He's trying to keep the asteroids from hitting us, you know. All these things, you know, he doesn't have time for me. You know, he's he's unreliable. You know, I've experienced a lot of pain in my life. I've experienced a lot of trouble and I've asked him to help me. And he hasn't. So he's unreliable. How can I really trust him? You know, he's busy, preoccupied, or maybe he's just powerless. Maybe it's like, you know, like, Clash of the Titans, you know, all those gods, like, some are a little more powerful than others, you know? Maybe God's not as powerful as in our mind. Maybe determination is more powerful than God. So, we really need an accurate picture of who God is. So we can stay motivated to follow him. You know, we're not going to really be motivated to the max to really live a life of good works and love if we don't really understand where we stand with him. So, you know, if if you're trying to, if your motivation is to try to please someone who you feel like you can never please, you're just going to give up, right? Or you're going to, boy, you're going to have this burden. It's going to be like a bondage to have to try to please that kind of God or that kind of person. Or if you really feel like, you know, everything you do is great, then why change? You know, there's no motivation to change if everything I do is great. Even though I'm hurting people and I need to change and I'm hurting my own life. The motivation's not there. So, we really need to kind of get into the Bible and really understand what God has revealed about himself to us. Um, In a few minutes, we're going to look at a passage that really kind of um, gives us the right motivation. Um, 
It really motivates, it's going to motivate us to do the good we were made to do. Um, God really has provided everything we need to be productive. Um, he really gives us freedom from the pressure, excuse me, the pressure of performing or faking it. You know, I definitely can identify with the pressure to perform. Or at least fake it till you make it, right? And some of that's true. I mean, sometimes we have to try on good works before they really become part of who we are, right? And that's okay. There's part of that's okay. But let's really look at the freedom that we have, okay? That if I can just step aside from my sermon for a moment here, if there's one thing that I could have you walk away from today. It's basically this. Like, you need to produce if you want your life to have purpose and meaning and if you want to take advantage of following God. But at the same point, if you don't, you're okay. It's not about you producing that makes you okay with God. And we'll look at what makes you okay. So there's real no freedom in a relationship where you feel like you have to, okay? It actually, you know, if this is like, let's imagine a, a primary family member, you know, a fundamental family member, like a, you know, a brother, sister, parent, spouse. I mean, if you feel like you have to perform constantly for them to get their approval, what a drag that is. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll have to keep up with that. In order to have their approval in your life, or you'll just have to say, you know what, I can't get their approval, and then live without it. That's a drag too, living without approval. For some reason we're made to need encouragement. We're made to need. We're made to need approval. And so, um, you know, there's a dynamic you see in a lot of movies. Okay, where teens and parents and movies, where you know, if the parent provides a certain kind of acceptance and appreciation for their kids and the you know the teens will feel like they have the ability to kind of differentiate themselves or individuate themselves um, from their parents and go on and become responsible adults okay they're not going to be you know totally dependent upon their parents so um, you know there's a movie that kind of picks this apart really good it's called The Breakfast Club it's from the 80s you know you might remember the iconic standstill first fist bump you know <laughs> Before uh, Jersey Shores came. And uh, not that I've ever watched it. Not that there's anything wrong with watching it. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so anyways, The Breakfast Club is a really iconic movie in the 80s. And it really kind of, basically here's the setup for the movie. Is we're going to watch a clip here in a second. Is It shows a group of students. It's got Emilio Estevez, you know, and Young Guns, you know, Billy the Kid before he was Billy the Kid. Like, and... Uh, bunch of those other 80s actors. I think this is like... Anyways, never mind. But um, <laughs> they're, they're in Saturday detention. Um, all day Saturday detention. I think it's half day. We call that Saturday school when I was in high school. And yes, I did have to go to some of those. And uh, unfortunately. And uh, so as they're sitting around talking, which they never let us do that, you know, they start to kind of open up with each other about the dynamic at home. Um, you know, the lack of love and acceptance in their home that's really kind of impacting their lives and their relationships. So let's watch a clip from one of the sons. The bizarre thing is that I did it for my old man. I tortured this poor kid 
because I want him to think that I was cool. He's always going off about, you know, when he was in school, all the wild things he used to do. I got the feeling that he was disappointed that I never cut loose on anyone, right? So I'm, I'm sitting in the locker room, and I'm taping up my knee, and Larry's undressing a couple lockers down from me. He's kind of, he's kind of skinny, weak. And I started thinking about my father and his attitude about, about weakness. And the next thing I knew, I, I jumped on top of him and, and started wailing on him. And my friends, they just laughed and cheered me on. Afterwards, when I was sitting in, in, in Vernon's office, all I could think about was Larry's father and Larry having to go home and, and explain what happened to him. And the humiliation. It's all because of me and my old man. He's like this, he's like this mindless machine that I can't even relate to anymore. Andrew, you've got to be number one. I won't tolerate any losers in this family. Your intensity is win, win, win. You know, sometimes I wish my knee would give and I wouldn't be able to wrestle anymore. And he could forget all about me. Sometimes I wish my knee would give and then I wouldn't have to perform anymore and he could forget all about me. You ever felt that way? You know, whether it's not even for God, but for a friend, a boss, family member. You know, pilot parent-child relationship is so fundamental. You know, if a parent's kind, the relationship is a launching pad. It's really a launching pad. Um, If not, it can really create a hole for the kid to dig out of, right? Um, In this theme, of course, we're only hearing the side of the, you know, the story of the teen, but, so we can't really gauge what's really going on between them, but we can get a general sense of the teen's perception here and you know, and really how it's generated this bitterness and resentment. And there's really no motivation to do good, is there? The motivation is just to perform. And it's even causing problems in his ability to to do right by people. So even more fundamental than our earthly parents is an understanding of how God thinks of us. And so, we know in our heart, here's the issue, guys. We really know in our heart, we know in our heart of hearts that we need to please God. We know that we need to please God. The Bible says it. We know that we need to be obedient to Him. And the Bible tells us also that we're made in His image. 
And that image has been marred, you know, by our rebellion. But it's still there. And we know that we're made for more than what's beyond just the here and now in ourselves. But if we never really discover, you know, that God has made a way to accept us, then there's that pressure and guilt that creates a sense of bondage. But we'll always fall short, right? Um, The Bible tells us that our good works don't make us right with God. Jesus. Jesus makes us right with God. His life, His perfect life, His death to take our place, to pay for the penalty of our sin, and His resurrection of overcoming the penalty for our sin and God's approval of what Jesus did. That work makes us clear with God. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. You are okay in Christ. And out of the gratefulness for that is where our good works come from. Out of a freedom to say, I am free, I am clean. I am not in bondage to an appearance. So the Bible really shows us that, and here's in your listening guide, it says that God's grace fuels the joy that empowers good works. Um, I'm going to read to you from Titus 3, 4 through 8. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. So we're not saved by works, we're saved by his mercy. Um, By the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified, justified is a legal term, that says nothing stands against you anymore. So being justified by His grace, unmerited favor, His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist. He writes, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. You know, verse 4 really shows us that, this is also in your handout, that God's goodness is motivating. His goodness is motivating. You know, verse 4 says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Um, If God were not good, we'd all be in a rough place, right? I mean, he's already, the earth has already been cursed. Things don't, run and operate the way they were meant to in the original creation. Even the very air we breathe is toxic. You know, the creation is crying out for God's redemption. And He's providing it. 
Um, another one is that God's mercy makes us right, not our own good works. And mercy, like I said earlier, is you know another way to describe it that theologians say is unmerited favor. You're not deserving of it. Mercy is I'm not deserving. You're at the, the king's court and you're saying, please, have mercy on me. I can't do anything to make this up. I can't do enough to make up for my rebellion. Have mercy on me. And he does. We don't really have the ability to make ourselves right with God. Out of mercy, God saves those who believe that he saves them. Um, he also renews us by the Holy Spirit. You know, in addition to making us justified and clean and giving us a brand new place to start on, he gives us the power and energy to do. And the way he does that is by coming in and changing us from the inside out. Um, not the movie Inside Out. You know, us inside out. And, you know, basically he changes our perspective, how we view the world. Our values, what's most important to us. He resorts those. He changes um, our desires. He changes our motivations. These things need to be changed or else we're not really even going to want to do good and love towards people. So he does that. His view of God is really motivating. So God's work also, this is in your handout, makes us free to do good works. He frees us up. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It's verse 7. If you do good to earn God's approval, to save ourselves from hell, and just to try to get into eternal life, you're not really doing good. You know, you're not really doing anything for anybody else. You're kind of working for yourself. You're just trying to save your own life. Um, You know, this passage is trying to give us a different motivation. A better motivation. Um, Like he says in verse 8, he says, This saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. He's saying that to the teachers, they, they really need to insist upon this whole idea of the motivation that comes out of grace and mercy. He wants them to understand, look, don't just hammer in good works. We need to hammer that in. We need to, we need to lay out what it's like to put a life together before God. We need, to, we need to encourage and equip, but insist on the fact that it comes out of a motivation of grace and mercy. Um, here's a uh, passage from um, the previous chapter in Titus, chapter 2. Um, And basically it's it's describing God's grace and salvation and it goes on to say, Who gave himself to us, for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. So he, he wants to purify a people who came out of lawlessness, a rebellion, for his own possession. They're his and they're zealous for good works. It doesn't say God came in and he rescued some people out of rebellion and he made them automaton robots who do his good works because they have to and they're programmed to. Or he cracks the whip and he demands perfection. I've been watching The Man in the High Castle. I don't know if any of you have seen that on Amazon. It's a story where like the Nazis took over America and the Japanese too. 
And it's interesting to see kind of the, you know, to, to revisit and think about the Nazi perspective amongst the military, where perfection is the standard. Matter of fact, one guy makes a very simple mistake. A, a prison guard, it's a very small part of the story, and they immediately arrest him. And who knows what happens to him. It wasn't even his fault. But they demand perfection. And I was thinking, it's weird, I wasn't even thinking about this message, but I was thinking about that as I was watching. I was like, oh my gosh. I'm so glad I don't have to live in that kind of world. Like, I, I would just want to, I'd want to go live in a hole somewhere if that was how life was. I'd give up. So, <clears throat> anyways, let's get back to the message here. You can watch that on your own time. Just kidding. <laughs> Embracing, this is a really important point here, okay? I can sum up this whole message into this. Embracing the truth that God accepts us apart from good works is the exact precise motivation to do good works. Does that make sense? So embracing the fact that God accepts us despite our works is the exact motivation to do those exact same works. Um, it makes a person zealous. You know that whole word zealous we looked at? And that word is kind of defined as to get fired up. And that's what God wants. God wants people who want to serve him. Not who have to. Um, it's not to be in bondage, to do good or get rejected. Do good or get rejected. And this is the real heart of Christianity, actually. You know, Jesus' reason for living was not to tell us how to be good and give us solid moral instruction, even though that's part of it. It's not his reason for living. It was to, it was to live and die so that we could be free to do those good works. Because he knew we couldn't do enough to make it. You know, the, the essence of Christianity is not just Jesus' moral instruction. I want to say that very clearly. The essence of Christianity is not just Jesus' moral instruction, as important as that still is. It's the news of what he did for us. He died for our sins and resurrected three days later. Um, to become a Christian... You have to accept what Christ has done for you and believe in it. You know, we looked at a passage two weeks ago, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and here it is. I'll quote it for you. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not on your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one can boast. You can't pat yourself on the back. You know, being in a relationship with God... By accepting what Jesus has done to experience God's grace and have a whole new motivation to do good. And this is really the way that we can get out from under the burden of guilt and shame. Can you imagine that for a moment? Just imagine being out, completely out of the burden of guilt and shame. To be, as Adam and Eve were, naked and unashamed before one another. Boy, that would be freeing. You know, part of the... What Adam and Eve had, they were completely accepted by God. 
they had significance in this world. They had a purpose. And they had unconditional love. And I think a lot of what we're running around in this world to accomplish and do is to achieve that. We're trying to get back significance. We're trying to get back unconditional love. We're trying to get back acceptance. We're trying to get back an intimate, close relationship with each other and or God. And we go, we go round and around trying to figure that out. And those desires are good. But our way of achieving them is really broken sometimes. Uh, I do uh, quite a bit of counseling in my work. And I, I think a lot of the problems I see people coming in with is trying to achieve those things. But in very, you know, misinformed methods. I'm not mad at them. I do it myself. But trying to achieve those things. And God is offering a way to have those all experienced. Now we're going to struggle. You know, you can even become a Christian and really get this. That we're free. That we don't have to live into the bondage of burden of sin. And of guilt and shame anymore. But we forget. We start getting back into doing good works to get our acceptance again. And we can get caught in that cycle. And we have to remind ourselves in those time of the truth of Scripture. Don't get all upset like, oh man, I got caught up in doing again to get God's approval. Don't worry about it. Just stop and remind yourself of the truth of Scripture. I am free in Jesus Christ. I have this mantra, okay? This is, I don't, I don't know if mantra is the right word. We'll use it um, for the sake of clarity. But... I taught myself something a long time ago. I say this phrase over and over again every day. And I won't explain all of it, but this might be kind of weird, okay? I'm going to let you into the mind of me here. But I say, um, God loves me because of Jesus Christ. My wife loves me and my children. Or, or sorry, let me back up. Life makes sense. God loves me because of Jesus Christ. My wife loves me. My children love me. I'm involved in a good church. I have good friends. Now what I've done is I've taken very huge experiential beliefs and put them down to little words. And I remind myself of that stuff daily when I start to doubt any one of those. And I'm not going to tell you what they all mean because that's a whole other sermon to try to explain to you what all each one of those means. But I'll start with Christ loved me because of Jesus Christ. God loves me because of Jesus Christ. Is I really believe, and I struggle sometimes to believe this, But I really believe with my whole heart that God loves me, Scott Lambert, the individual who lives in Riverside, California, at 2665 Falling Oak Drive. God loves and knows me. And it's because, really importantly, because of Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with me. Nothing. And I'll tell you, just saying those words to myself throughout the day, God loves me because of Jesus Christ, and experientially believing that brings peace.
to the very depth of my soul. And I want, I want to serve Him. I want to go to my wife and kids and say, I am sorry today. I was a jerk. Will you forgive me? To dig myself out of a hole at work, not because I'm trying to gain my boss's approval and get right, but because I want to do a good job. You know, I had a mentor of mine recently tell me this, and I I don't know where this comes from, and maybe it's out there in pop Christian culture. Um, But he was telling me that, he goes, it's not, a lot of times the enemy, Satan and his demons, want to tell us lies about our distortions of God. And one of the purposes for that is, is it tries to, when we mess up, when we screw up, when we get off track, because we're going to do that. Our perspective is going to get off. When we get off track, it takes us that much longer to get back to God and get back on track if we have these distortions of God. But if I really believe what the truth of Scripture says about where I stand with God, you know, I'm walking down my path and I get off track a little bit, one degree, I can just quickly be like, oops, I'm back here with you, God. So the goal is getting quickly back to God. It's not always about staying with God, even though that's, I mean, now we can get into semantics here, you know. But it's how fast can you get back to God? And this truth helps you get back to God fast. So I encourage you. If you haven't made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ and to accept his free gift of mercy, I encourage you to consider it. I encourage you to pray and look into your heart of hearts. And I encourage you to believe. Because I'm here to tell you it's true. And if you ask anybody in this room who believes it, they will tell you it's true. Experientially, this is real stuff. And God really can forgive us. I want to ask the band to go ahead and come up on stage. I want to ask you to finish, pull out your connection card that Taylor had you started working on earlier and begin filling it out. There's some next steps on the back I want to bring your attention to. One of those is you can memorize Titus 3.5, the first part of it that says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Another step you might want to take is just quit trying to earn God's approval by whatever. One of the things I actually wrote in my connection card for service is by doing. I sometimes feel like i got to earn God's approval by doing. I want to do, but I still... Struggle with that. Um, and only for the first time, I choose to accept Christ as my Savior and follow Him as Lord. And if you need help with that, if you want to talk to somebody about that, any of us back at the guest table after service, please come up and talk to us about that. We'd be more than happy to sit down and pray with you and explain the gospel to you, how to connect with God. As a matter of fact, um, if you don't want to talk today, but you would like to get a follow-up on that, write down on the back of your connection card. Say, I want to know what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And somebody will contact you to speak about that. And we'll go at your pace. We're not here to cram anything down your throat. We'll go at your pace. And it's okay to go at your pace. Um, 
Let me pray and then we'll receive our offering. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the grace and mercy that you have shown us, God. I just I thank you, Lord, that you really, really, really do love us. You haven't given up on us, Lord. Despite our rebellion, Lord, and in the midst of our rebellion towards you, God, you reached out and you died and you made a way for us to be clean, God. And so thank you for that, Lord. Help us to live in that. Help us to work from that. In Jesus' name, amen.